There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Greetings, podcasts. How's tricks? I am speaking to you from uh, the quiet room. Today's quiet room, anyway, because Mickey's having a nap. So I'm in, I'm in his room. He's sleeping in his buggy. And if your ears are very, very, very finely tuned, you might be able to just hear the gentle whir of the washing machine, which I always quite like. There's a space in our house where we do all the laundry. And I actually just really like being in there. Is that weird? I like the way the detergent smells. And I like the fact that it's a kind of productive, useful space. And there's something quite reassuring about the whole thing. I think it's also where I went to hide for a lot of lockdown. (laughs) Because laundry was kind of something I put my hand in the air for. So I did all the laundry. So I spent a lot of hours in that room. And actually, it was quite nice to seal myself away for a little bit. Anyway, maybe you have a similar space in your home. I don't know. It's quite nice to have a little space that's sort of you can squirrel away to sometimes. I'm trying to create more of them around the house. Um, 
I didn't uh, really know I was going to tell you about all of that, but I guess hearing the washings made me think of it all. And I am looking around the room. I can see all the clothes are left out from last week's. I did a photo shoot. Uh, when Actually, that must be two weeks ago now, for the cover of my book. That's quite exciting, isn't it? It's quite funny because the book is an autobiography and I talk about lots of stuff, things that I think hopefully you'll find a bit amusing, uh, stuff that made me laugh anyway, but then also stuff that's a bit more personal, intimate and serious. So for the cover, I was trying to evoke a sort of little bit of both, a kind of Mona Lisa-esque, you know, if you read a funny bit and you close it and look at the cover, I look like maybe I'm smiling with you. I'm telling a serious bit. You can look at the cover and be like, oh, yeah, she looks a bit sad. <laughs> when I showed it to uh, to my eldest, Sonny, he just said, oh, you look a bit, <laughs> you look a bit sad in all these pictures, which wasn't really my, um, my goal. So let's see if you pick up an autobiography with a sad-looking woman on the cover who's also trying to maybe look a little bit like she's smiling. It just might be me. Anyway, uh, this week's guest. So this week I speak to Emma Barnett. So Emma Barnett is someone that I've listened to lots on the radio, uh, on uh, on her own uh, news channel. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I realise I'm recording the wrong place. It's fine. I sorted it. Um, yeah, listening to her on the radio, she's recently become the main host of Women's Hour since the beginning of this year. She used to sometimes go on there and present it before now, but now she's the official main presenter and she regularly does news nights. So I confess, whenever I speak to women who are whip-smart like that, like journalistic types, I do get a little bit intimidated, but there was no need for it. Emma was completely lovely and charming and candid and honest with me, which was wonderful, because we covered lots and lots of stuff, everything from uh, periods to endometriosis to uh, difficulties with getting pregnant so Emma spent over two years trying to have her little boy and we also spoke about embarrassing stories I've got so many of them and but Emma Emma has a really good one um if you are listening to this and you fancy sharing I'd love to hear your embarrassing stories I feel like everybody's got at least one or two where it's a real that every time you think of it it just brings back that real cringe of embarrassment Anyway, don't hear it from me. Hear it from Emma and I. And I will sit here in the quiet room listening with you and see you on the other side. Thanks for lending me your ears once more. See you soon. So how are you finding everything at Women's Hour? Women's Hour, it's, it's great. It's been it's a, it's a lovely and we are now at an hour which I'm so excited about yeah. because that's what it says on the tin so <laughs> we've I'm speaking to you at the end of the first week of that in its 75 year history so yeah I know I was looking that up 75 years is a long time and mm-hmm. also I was I didn't realize that every presenter stays for a really long time like sometimes yeah, it, over a decade yes yeah <laughs> I mean my predecessor is as kind of the you know, the main the main presenter is Jenny Murray and she was there, I believe, 33 years, which yeah. when I took over in January, I was 35. So that is the whole time I was alive by two years. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and so uh, when I can talk to you when you're 70 and see how you're finding everything. Still. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> but then you can, I don't you can even make like it five say... minutes if you want by then. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but I, I'm one of those people that gets very nervous about, um, you know, when people say, oh, is this your your house now, for instance, mm. is this it? The, 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 the sort of last house, mm. the one, and I go, no, 
Of course not. Because the thought of anything being always is quite, a, I find it quite a breathless feeling. Me too. Really claustrophobic, actually. I don't like planning way in advance at all. Six months down the line is about as far as I'm comfortable, I think. Also, you have a lot of people that you're managing. <laughs> yeah, but for all I know, they might like a little bit more structure. I think it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's me being pretty selfish there, really. I just, I, I, I sort of predict and I suspect that will stay living here for another five years. But I don't really like, I don't like sort of voicing it. It makes yes. me feel a bit tight. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. That's exactly, yeah, that's just that feeling that, you know, doesn't have to be like this. It could be something else. And when you say you just had a meeting about the book, is this the book period? Are you still, is this, this is, like promoting the, the next incarnation yes. of that? Yes, so we're just, um, we're just getting out the paperback, which has been delayed a couple of times due to the pandemic and bookshops not being open. And I wrote some extra con- content for it, which has been lovely because I've had so many conversations with women and men up and down the country when we were allowed, but also on air, about a lot of the issues that, you know, I wanted to explore that, and people now come and, you know, I was on a shoot yesterday for it and there's only eight people on the shoot. Uh, this is for some media coverage for the paper and the papers and three of the women I'm there with have endometriosis and then one has some issues with fertility herself you know all these things are part of our everyday but they are still talked about in quite hushed tones and people now seek me out yeah well I actually was thinking that in a way there's a bit of serendipity I mean I, I appreciate that putting the paper back you know postponing that release is frustrating but at the same time the fact that you're able to broadcast and the last few, you know, 14 months, I think radio has taken even more significance in my life, actually. It felt like community so so much of the time and hearing voices, having chats about all sorts of things, especially things outside of the pandemic, was such a welcome addition to the atmosphere in my home. So I think it's yes. probably quite well, timely. I, I think it has been. It's been a huge privilege and it's also been very upsetting at times to to be on the radio you know Mm. with people during this time and I think especially from well I started the pandemic for the majority of it I was at five live still where I was doing the morning program and that's a three-hour daily program with everything going on in it and a lot of people getting in touch and they did want it's that mixture exactly as you say of escape but Mm. also to reflect these Mm. very unique moments and you just become aware sometimes of what you're recording and before I joined Woman's Eye, I read up on, on its history and there's, there's a couple of huge books that I really enjoyed looking through of how women's role and our lives and even our voices have changed and all these different things. But you are aware sometimes at the moment that you are making the archive for the future. Mm. You'll be having a conversation I did the other day on Woman's Eye with a woman who'd just come off stage the night before the first reopening, mm. you know, on Monday evening as it is this week. And she's talking about a semi-empty theatre, but the love in the room, the feeling of being with people again. Mm. And just the fact she's describing that as so odd will be listened back to in 70 years' time or so. And people will think how odd that we didn't have this for a long time. Or or just to say one more example, which I think, you know, might pertain to what we'll come on to. I was very aware, I think it, you know, it was January, I mean, it had been going on all last year, but when I joined Women's Hour in January... I was very aware we had to try and find voices to express the load that women were carrying. Now, it's not to say that only women are carrying it, but we know disproportionately that so much of the homeschooling, the extra care, 
we know women have given up jobs or are giving up promotions or giving up being on the fast track in the law or whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. or they just simply haven't had any work and they've had to do everything else. Yeah. We have to try and find those voices to reflect it. And what I found so interesting is so many women in that exact position don't want to come on the radio actually and complain. That's how they view it. They, they think, well, there's so many other people so worse off that I mustn't say anything, but they're breaking. You know, a lot of those women are at breaking point and mm. we did finally find someone. She didn't want to do it under her real name. And, you know, she, nobody's going to re- represent everybody, but she, she really has to work. Her husband works outside the, outside the home. They have three children, all being homeschooled. Her work actually made her do more work, otherwise she was going to lose her job. And she just didn't want to say anything bad publicly. But we gave her the space. And I again think that will be something people will listen back to mm. and see really have we come as far as we think we have with what women do. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there's so many conversations that have come up as a direct result from, you know, sort of typical families looking at what works best for them at a time when both people can't go out to work, what gets shelved. Just the mere fact that, I can't remember the statistic now, but it's something crazy like, 80% of women don't have a space in the home that's sort of designated for their work. But men are mm. something like 60% more likely to have a, a space that's their own. And I, I'm definitely one of those people. In our house, I'm speaking to you from my husband's studio. I don't have a place in the house. So whenever I was trying to do work in the last however many months, it was at the kitchen table in one of the kids' rooms, on my bed, you know, this kind of thing. And even just finding that space. But it made me look at myself as well and decisions I'd made and ways I'd spoken Mm. about and prioritised my work. And I think, you know, quite often, because I wanted to have a family, I felt like I didn't want my kids to feel like my family and my work were at conflict. So I actually kind of kept work quite, quite far away from them. And actually that suddenly was incredibly awkward, not least for me, that I hadn't really given it a space at our table as yes. well so I had to kind of build that well, in really I mean it's quite funny that we should be talking about this because the episode I've just broadcast literally just come from the studio was uh, one element of that was about the rise a terrible name some people love the name but I, I thought it was quite funny and I also struggled to sort of say it is the rise of she sheds so the sale of sheds oh, well, have gone sentence. through the roof <laughs> and women yeah. are loving having sheds and, okay. you know, and, and, and somewhere to call their own, mm. somewhere to work, somewhere to have this space. But, I, you know, as I made she the point, shed. not everybody can have that. <laughs> she shed. Really hard to say. Um, and this, this woman messaged in to say, because I said, obviously, not everybody's going to have that or want that. And this woman said, my space, because I said, tell me where your space is, is near my bed, but away from where you can see me from the door. <laughs> and I create this little area and my children can't see me. And that is my space. <laughs> also known as hiding <laughs> yeah but she described it beautifully I didn't want to <laughs> oh yeah well it, it will be interesting and as you say we are sort of living living a space in the history books even one of the kids was saying it to me this morning you know they, this is a bit of history they're going to look back to see what children you know, school children experience with the mm-hmm. pandemic it's like yeah absolutely it's it's so unique and I must confess I wasn't listening to Women's Hour today because I was listening to a lovely podcast that you've done with Elizabeth Day her How to Fail podcast. And it was lovely to listen to, not least because you sound like such lovely friends together, but also because one of the things you spoke about as one of your examples of failure was actually to do with becoming a parent and the time that you spent Mm. trying to have your little boy. Because 
Am I right that your son is about three? Is that right? Yes. Okay, but there was a sort of two years before you had him when you were trying to have a baby, and it sort of became something that's massively defining because it also is when is that right that, that when you found out about the endometriosis? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, and just before I, I say that, I was going to say that I think the other thing just about this time that we're living in and women's health mm. and everyone's health is mm. that we aren't getting investigated for things mm. in the way that we normally would. And we know that's going to be incredibly problematic and, and distressing and tragic. And it already is, whether it's cancer, whether it's to do with hip replacements, all those sorts of things. But I do worry because women already, uh, we're living with some sort of discomfort or pain and not getting it seen to. So mm. I think just linking to the pandemic, that, that's, a, that's a really big concern of mine. Um, and a big part of the book is me talking about, you know, I thought I... Is, you know, as someone who interviews people for a living, and, and, and certainly I interview a lot of people also in my job as Newsnight who, who hold a lot of power, you know, and you hold people to account. And I thought, I sort of knew my period was awful, but I kind of had accepted that women in pain go together like bread and butter, you know, this, this, was, this was how it was. But in, my, in myself, even though I'd gone to lots of doctors and gynaecologists over the years, so I had sought information, but I'd always just been told I was unlucky and given some very strong painkillers. Mm. When we started trying for a baby, I said to my husband, oh, it's not going to work. And he said, can we, can we at least just, you know, give this a go? And I, I said, oh, there's something not right with me. And I know that there isn't. And I've been dreading this stage of my life. And I, I hadn't really articulated it aloud until that point. And I'm also an only child and my, my mother had suffered enormously uh, with very bad periods. And that's why she just said to me, this is how it is. Mm. Does and it turn to be hereditary? Had. Is it a hereditary condition? Yes. Okay. And my mum was, when I did get diagnosed, fast forwarding a tiny bit, it, she looked horrified because A, as a mother, she was so upset she'd not been able to help me get a diagnosis for 20 years. And that's how long it was. But B, it was like a light went on for her yeah. because she must have had this. Um, and so many women do and so I you know the book isn't purely about that but I include this because I think be not knowing anything about our fertility and not knowing anything about our health but we sort of know when things aren't right you have to advocate for yourself and Mm. you have to push really really hard and you you have to also say to people which I am actually used to in, in my job and that's why I was horrified ashamed really that I hadn't got answers for myself that no, that's that's not an adequate answer. Mm. I need more, um, and I need some help. And honestly, I took on the decision very quickly to take IVF as a route after two and a half years. So basically, I got diagnosed with endometriosis about halfway through trying for a baby for a long time. And I know it's not as long as others, but it felt enormous amount of time to me, as it always will for people. Um, and then afterwards, still didn't get pregnant after the surgery, which diagnoses you and tries to treat mm. you, doesn't cure you. And this lady with a really cool ponytail, she's about 60 odd in the NHS, she said to me, can you just bloody try it, IVF, please? Can you just almost like put yourself out of your misery? And even if it doesn't work, you have a period for two months and I'm sold. I was like, <laughs> okay, take me there. Um, and, you know, we, we obviously, uh, I couldn't believe it worked, you know, mm. and that's where my luck actually finally came in because it was a hellish two and a half years what do you think the reluctance was about IVF what what did it represent to you that that made you not want to apart from you know the not knowing about the period bit but what what was self-putting before that I I just wanted to do it naturally you know Mm. I'm not 
I'm not a herbalist. I'm not someone, I'm always being told by anyone I ever talk to who is much more into health, for instance, than me as in fitness and mindfulness. Oh, Emma, do you actually ever breathe? You know, all these things. I'm not into all of that, but I just, I just had it in my head that I wanted to do this Mm. with my husband. Like, like we are able to, we should be allowed to. And I think that's the biggest injustice of of it for me the thing that I actually have always got very upset about is that I cannot reproduce naturally Um, and it felt like a huge failure it just and I'm wrong to have viewed it like that and it was pig-headed of me and it was ill thought out and it also felt like a weakness and you know I I've I've learned a lot through this process and I think you know I think it is it is your body failing you know there's nothing wrong with saying that I mean the World Health Organization define um, being reproductively challenged as a proper disability. You know, it's not mm. a disability in the sense of um, of the way that we know it, but it, it does mean my body cannot do something other women's bodies yeah. can do without help. Yeah, and I didn't know for a while if at all. And it yeah. feels very, very distressing, to say the least. Yeah, and I suppose if you're somebody that, because I know you've been with your husband for a long time before you even started trying for a baby and for the fact that you hadn't actually had that conversation of going look I just I've always been dreading this and haven't actually voiced a lot of this out loud shows maybe there was just a lot of fear about and and shame and awkwardness about how your body worked and the way it made you feel and one thing as well about IVF is it immediately opens it all up in front of a load of people you've never met before and Mm. you've got to suddenly be incredibly open and honest about all of it to sort of explain how your body might work. I think my husband would he would probably laugh at the idea that I hadn't opened up to him about my body because, my goodness, <laughs> I do and I, I will and I say it on television, podcasts and radio. But um, there was a, I think there was a man who got in touch with me once at Five Live who, who said, are you going to talk about your periods every single day? <laughs> uh, and I went, no, no, just once a month. Then. Anyway, um, but, but you're right about if you medicalise something, a bit like with a child, you know, the minute you medicalise something, it's proper, it's real, it's it's something you've got to think about mm. and then there's a treatment path and then there's a lot of paperwork and it gets taken out of your hands and there's also you know I, I've spoken to some women since talking about my own experience who are some of the toughest hardest women a couple of them in journalism who have done some extraordinarily brave things and one of them said to me I just couldn't hack the hormones I could not hack the roulette with my emotions and my physicality and I don't think women who go through fertility treatment talk enough about that actually and I've only realized that recently where I met a woman recently who's written an HR policy for a company for those who are going through treatment because not only does a woman who goes through fertility treatment have to work during the pregnancy if she is as lucky and as blessed to get there yeah working through pregnancy it can be incredibly hard it can be absolutely fine I was great there you go so one time I've actually felt amazing because I didn't have a period for nine months. I yeah. mean, I had other things going on. But um, going through fertility treatment and going on air for me every single day and also hosting the general election coverage on the radio for the BBC and doing all sorts of things at the same time, it was so hard. So hard, So yeah. hard. And I suppose as well, it feels like you can't talk about it, not just because generally people don't, but because in a weird way you feel like you're almost going to jinx something if you start yeah. inviting the conversation and people going how's it going and any joy and you don't you don't necessarily want to talk about any of it actually until imagine uh, 
No. Ready and to. I think I, request, I requested a mini fridge when we were on the election trail. And we went to Skegness to track down the then leader of the UKIP. And um, I just said Sounds to like the team, have, it was, yeah. And I, 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 I was going to go Skegness yeah, and UKIP. <laughs> exactly. I'd just come from, it's like, it's like going back in time, but not that far. But I'd just come from interviewing Jeremy Corbyn at Woman's Hour, actually. Mm. An interview that caused lots of headlines. So that was going mad. And my phone was buzzing every few minutes and I needed a mini fridge in Skegness and I couldn't get Paul Nuttall, the former leader, to talk to me. So it was a very weird afternoon. <laughs> and um, my team happened to be male that day and I was requesting this fridge. And I just thought, well, I can't tell them why because mm. exactly as you say, I don't want anyone to know I'm doing this. It probably won't work. And it's really personal. However, I need a mini fridge. So I said, this is the irony because of what you said before. I just went... Oh, yeah, I'm doing vaginal injections for endometriosis. I'm on a trial and no one knows anything about it anyway. Mm. And the minute I said the word vagina and injection, one of them looked incredibly pale and then the fridge was <laughs> supplied. <laughs> Just take the fridge. We don't, we've heard enough. Something along those lines. Maybe I've got some of the details wrong, but there we go. It's funny that you've just reminded me when I was um, first in the public eye. So this would be back in like, I don't know, 2000. And a designer had offered to make me a dress for something. It was one of his dresses, but he was going to tailor it for me. And it was a really sort of bodycon type thing, something I would never wear. And I didn't feel comfortable. And I said to my mum, oh, he's tailored this dress and I just don't, it's just not me and I don't know how to wear this kind of thing. And she said, phone him up and tell him thank you so much, but you've got your period and so you don't feel comfortable wearing it at the <laughs> moment. She said, he'll be so embarrassed till he won't bring it up again. <laughs> it really worked. If anyone wants to make, get out of something, quite yeah. So it's, I think it's the only time though that I've used it or said it out loud as a sort of adult woman. I think you're right. You know, I know that your book and your um, diagnosis was probably a massive point to sort of start unpicking the whole nature of periods. Or maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Actually, was it something you always thought you might want to talk about in detail? No, it has. It has sort of followed me around quite doggedly because I did this thing on the on Sky News where I said I was menstruating and I said it live on the news and we were talking we were doing a debate program and I just brought it up because we were debating menstrual leap but I was in loads of pain so I thought well I'm menstruating right now and Nick Ferrari the radio host who's mm. also a good friend looked like he was going to vomit <laughs> Graham Lesseau the footballer who also a good friend and Rachel Johnson was there and June Sarpong all of them looked like they were going to just you know combust and I thought well it's not that odd Especially no. to the three women there. Yeah. Um, so after that, I used to get people coming up to me all the time saying, oh, I've had this happen. You know, because lots of people are fine. But, mm. And lots of people don't have a disease. And lots of people, but there are lots of people where it does affect them in some way. And not, and not even negatively. They're just funny stories. So mm. I, I started writing them down and collating them. And it was then, it was actually when I got the diagnosis, because I didn't know I had a condition when I was mm. doing that television program. That I thought, okay, there's something something's gone wrong here mm. you know with me with this but there are amazing stories and and that's when it all started to percolate and I actually had no desire to write a book I stupidly wrote a book on maternity leave I do not recommend that oh that's when you did it uh, on maternity leave that's terrible I wow. love talking to the, the people I love doing the interviews like this this was mm. great but writing them up maternity leave is a as it turns out as you know very well is a very poorly described period of time there is no leave involved <laughs> yeah um so I, yeah, don't recommend that bit, but I, I just felt I had to write it. And I remember at the time seeing a publisher who wanted to take a book from me and all he did was try and convince me 
to not write about what he called lady business. He wouldn't say the word period during the meeting and write a proper book about current affairs, what? news and Brexit. And, and oh. I said, well, no, that's not the book. Mm. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, is, is it the first of its kind? I don't know any other books that have... There are books that have done the feminist theory around it. There are books that have done what I would call kind of the more new agey stuff. There mm-hmm. are books that have really looked at, like Maisie Hill's done Period Power, which is about trying to harness your cycle and, and the power and trying to explain hormones. But it, I think it's the first one which put a lot of regular women's stories, untold yeah. stories in one place. Quite funny. Very funny at times, I have to say. Yeah, uh, the things they the things they told me, but also some of the sadness, but also uh, put the religious thing together, like how religions impacted the way we treat women who menstruate and their health, and also kind of looking at the psychological elements yeah. of yeah. how it makes us feel. Yeah, and the sort of ongoing stigma of it, really. And I think the fact that weirdly, women sometimes seem to sort of sign this sort of pact of secrecy about it I suppose because it's not really spoken about at school you never hear your teachers talk about it I went to an all-girls school and it wasn't something that was ever part of the you know the, the subject for any of our lessons it was sort of done through secrecy and a lot of mystique and I didn't know if other people's experience was the same as mine and you know reading about your description of endometriosis just made me think of people who I thought, oh, golly, I wish I could wind back time and speak to that girlfriend of mine at school who was always having a horrible time and it's a debilitating time with her periods and just say to her, oh, my goodness, just make sure you get this checked out. Because I know that you can't cure yeah. it, but you can treat it and give support. I mean, what, yeah, what is you the can signi- try yeah, and help. You can try and help and, and it might make you feel like you're not just sort of going, just got to, you know, hunker down and get on with this and not really talk about it to people. And I think it's just I do, not something I just, to converse about. Yeah, I just ha- I just helped somebody get diagnosed in the sense of I 
said, I think your symptoms are looking like that. Mm. Here is the person. Here's how to do it. And she, she's so, although she's still in loads of pain, she's so thrilled that she's got a diagnosis. And mm. I do think that knowledge is power, a bit like knowing about your fertility so you can make a choice is yeah. power. You know, none of these things, I mean, there's so many things in school that would be really helpful, not least explaining, so many you know, things. how to file a tax return. Yes. However, periods, periods are really should be really unremarkable because of how common they are but equally they're quite remarkable things they start very young we're the only mammal that sheds our lining every single uh, every single month it's for no good reason um and they're quite dramatic things to invade your pants and you can't talk about it that easily or if you do you don't know if you're normal and think about so all of that awkwardness and also loads of women that i've spoken to don't, don't even know what a period is you know they don't really know anything about it or when I tell them things about how sort of sexist attitudes uh, have made certain things the way when they didn't need to be, for instance, the one that often blows people's minds is the fact that if you take a pill where you you are have been advised to have a break and have a bleed for seven days, that was never necessary medically. Mm. So yes, the hormonal pill used to be much stronger, so people did welcome the break. But the reason the break was introduced is because it largely was created in Catholic America. And Catholic America, the men wanted to still know their wives bleed. It was mm. a disguise. Mm. It doesn't benefit women. No, so I, I had a break on the pill for 10 years that I didn't need to have because I thought it was good for me. Mm. And look at, I mean, look at the vaccines now. The fear over the AstraZeneca clots. Now, we don't need to go into any of the, the detail, but I, I think it's a very fair point to say. Women have taken risks with their health far higher risks to take the contraceptive pill since the 60s. Mm. And whenever the reason there is not a male pill, and quite good for them, good for the blokes, is every time a man takes part in a trial for, for a pill that could work for a man, he says, oh, I've got to tap out of this, I've got a headache, I feel awful, it's changing me, it's changing who I am. You know, They won't tolerate the things that women have tolerated. Now, don't get me wrong, the pill has been a hugely important and liberating force for us because obviously we get pregnant. But what I am fascinated by is how much women accept is how it should be yeah. when it shouldn't have to be yeah. because it's been created in an environment that's not designed by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's incredibly true. I mean, that goes to right through, you know, to taxes on tampons and everything, doesn't it? Just the, the whole way it's handled, um, the fact that, you know, you can go into a public bathroom and there's not even necessarily a space to put, you know, sanitary towels and stuff like that. It's just... It's just never been made to feel like it's as significant as it would be if everybody had it. It just, it just doesn't feel like that, does it? And um, no, I think, I think your well, book would we, be, they'd sorry. be free, wouldn't they? Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, also like Lou rolls free. Yeah. I think all of this would be free if men had it. Exactly. Imagine if the whole world did it, then it just would. Yeah, it would be such a different dynamic and all that sort of. You're right. The fact that you're supposed to just sort of have these silent things of getting on with it. Even the monthly pain and everything. It's just, and the associations that you can be, um, it can be thrown back at you as a you know, reason for being crabby or a reason for being inefficient or a reason for being flaky or emotional or whatever it is. It's actually horrific, especially as it happens often right through your teenage years. That's when you start. So it's a time when you're feeling really vulnerable anyway. And I mm. think you just kind of find that you just sort of have to, you feel like you've just got to get through it. Well, also... There is that guy in the book that I interviewed who tried having a period for BuzzFeed and he got <laughs> packed like a little be- like a little beet juice 
thing around his waist that would drip into his pants. And when I interviewed him, he's called Edgar, and he was literally like, oh, my God, the admin of having to change my pad. I kept leaking, and then it leaked on my jeans. And, oh, my God, like, all this stuff. And I didn't even have the hormones. And I was literally like, yeah, the admin of it, you know, like my friend who got her tampon stuck who I was meeting for work, you know, and she's just ringing me, and I'm going, bear down while I'm in the cab. You know, (laughs) these things are like, and we hide them up our sleeve. We do the tampon smuggle on the way to the loo, like, and Gloria Steinem in 1978, she was like, if men had periods, it would be like, I'm a three-pad kind of guy. You know, there'd be like <laughs> bragging rights. Um, it would be a day off or it would be something. It would be a celebration. It would be competitive. It would be out there. Yeah, yeah. So I know professionally around the time you were having a baby, you were still doing all your broadcasting, but you've spoken quite openly about how you felt that period of time when you were trying to have a baby and two and a half years, I think, is a fairly significant amount of time. And you just said you felt like it brought out all the worst of you. And I wondered if that's something that you feel comes quite a sort of... Does it, does it carry over into new motherhood as well, if you've had experienced that for so long? I think it's a really good question. I think that um, when you've struggled, it is a real darkness and it's not a darkness I enjoy and I don't want to be jealous of people who are pregnant and I don't want to I like I like to be happy for people I like to be um in the world without bitterness and Mm. sadness and darkness and trying to remember to live working like keep on living is really key but Mm. it's very hard because your period is like an email in your pants every month of failure Mm. and I think what happens when you struggle to have a baby, I personally didn't believe that the baby, that little boy would come, I think until around seven months. Not because I thought I was going to lose it necessarily. I wasn't actually thinking in those terms, although I I can totally understand that for others who've had losses, that they, they would think like that. I just could never get pregnant. So when our son did arrive, I just didn't have, like other women maybe, that feeling of what will it be like? And even if that's inaccurate, I didn't allow myself to fantasize about it at all Mm. um I wouldn't buy anything I know that that's not uncommon because people are superstitious but I just I just couldn't engage with it and I think then when I wasn't loving new motherhood because most people don't in in many ways Mm. you know even if they love the baby they don't love their life their new existence that they're trying to get hold of there was additional guilt, I would say. So rather than the darkness, because it takes time for darkness to lift and mm. for you to feel better, I think my health feeling good during my pregnancy really helped, though. And I was celebratory. I don't want to say that I wasn't, but there was this beautiful thing growing in me at that point. You know, I didn't know anything about him. and But I did think I felt additional guilt, perhaps, that I didn't love it immediately or as much as I should, Um I couldn't get used to it because I had fought so hard for it. And is that something they spoke to you about during your pregnancy as a possibility? No. Oh, I'm <laughs> Nobody. You can't be. Yeah, no, it I must think, be quite a common cycle. I, I don't think there's. I don't think there's a thing between like you know the IVF doctors are there to get you pregnant, mm. and then your midwife, if you're lucky enough to see the same one, and I actually was, I think because of IVF, is there to sort of tell you if it's all going okay. But mm. I think there's probably a missing. A missing bit, but I did seek out writers to explain what I now know is called matrosense. Do you know that word? No, I don't. What's that? I only learned it recently. 
Matcha sense is the process of becoming a mother. So like adolescence. Right. It's a phrase that's been coined. Obviously, you can have patricence mm. as well for, mm. for, for men. Um, but it's the idea that you are growing into the role rather than you are a mother born at okay. that moment. Yeah. So the kind of stresses and strains of that. So I did my own reading mm. about why was I loving my baby but feeling like a stranger in my own life. Yeah. That's interesting. So I suppose, is that something that would go in tandem with a sort of maternal leaning or is that the word you might use if someone didn't feel that that came naturally? No, I think it's about, so rather than maternal ambivalence, which people talk about now, Mm. which is a huge taboo and I think is fascinating and we should talk more about. um, It's actually more about just simply not knowing how to be anymore. This is more about the adjustment of your identity and the mourning of what you had before. Wow. Uh, and I think because, I can't remember how old you were, how old were you when I you I was 25 when I had my first. And I okay. definitely so that's felt, quite... I, was, I felt like I'd been turned up, so I didn't know who I was. I couldn't, I took yeah. ages to find me again, I think. Did it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I, I didn't feel depressed or anything. I just felt... No, but I think we, um, there are things in between. I felt kind there? of invisible, actually. It's, it was like all my edges had been knocked off, like a sort of homogenised process. Um, I was just my my baby's mother, the carer, that kind of thing, and I didn't. I just felt like I'd lost all my character and personality, I guess, for a little while. But I, I think the benefit, perhaps, as well as having a younger body, <laughs> twenty five, is. Um, but that's very young in the national average mm. compared to. I think the national average is now thirty, and it's higher in in cities, maybe thirty two in cities. I, can't, I was thirty two. Um, the, the the benefit of that is that you've had less time, although, you know, you, you've had a very different life in many ways because of going to the public eye and, and your creativity and your singing and, and writing, but that you had less time perhaps to enjoy your independence. So by the time you get into your 30s and lots of women are now doing it later for various reasons, I think there's even more grief sometimes because you've had all of that freedom for the first bit of, the, you know, your 15 years of being an adult or whatever. Mm. So I think that's getting worse for people that they're sort of like we're we're more selfish basically to put it bluntly you know we are used to being our own masters yes although I suppose the flip of it is that my mum who had me at 23 used to say to me oh it's good you're being a young mum because you'll you'll be more selfish because sometimes when people have their babies a bit later they might feel more inclined to sort of go, right, stop everything, I'm now doing this ah, bit. Whereas for me, I was like, she's, maybe she's just trying to encourage me to feel feel confident about it. But that was the sort of way she... No, that's a me. really... She I love that. I think that's... Um, oh, I love that. I think she's very wise. Two well, she was a good bit of it. Yeah, podcast. she was definitely good for lots of advice. Actually, I mean, the most sort of the most sort of pivotal bit of advice was right at the very beginning when I first realised I was pregnant because my husband and I we only been dating for a very short amount of time when we found out we had a baby, um, just about six weeks. And so I phoned her up and and she said, um, "It might not be the right time. It might not be the right man, but it's the right baby." And actually for Richard and I, we both kind of clung on to that. Like, it's the right baby. Yeah. We'll put our focus on that. So, she, yeah, she's she's very good for advice, my mum, yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's so powerful. Also, like, only six weeks, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> some people say, did you plan that? I'm like, you, you must credit me with some level of crazy that I hope I don't get to, really. Um, 
Or I suppose some people might just be like, we just knew. No, we didn't really. Um, but, you know. It, I'm sorry, but, you know, I just want to say that <laughs> I've been super cool throughout this whole chat. Like, it's completely normal to be interviewed by Sophie Spexter. But I do remember buying your CD uh, in Manchester and then going home and dancing religiously to it and knowing all of the words of your album. So <laughs> I've tried to be cool until this point, but I just want to point that oh God, out. Please don't be cool. No, you know what? This is the first time anyone <laughs> any of my interviews ever said, thank you. I'm just going to start everything with that. <laughs> like, Playing I remember so the underrated. album. <laughs> no, but I remember, I remember the cover with the white and your lips and like everything about it. And I, I loved how clear your English accent was on your music. That's a really weird thing to say, perhaps, but... I think having listened to Oasis and Blur back to back for like four years at that point, I was so ready to kind of A, hear a woman's voice and B, hear it, you know, (laughs) beautiful diction. And I honestly, I just, I've drove people mad with that. It's still on one of my favourite playlists. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Well, hopefully some of my later work has interested you too. <laughs> yeah, no, but it will, and I'm it does. But my, you and no, 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 but the, and you and your kitchen disco, I have been doing a lot of kitchen discoing, but I I just couldn't not say it, Sophie. I'm sorry. Oh, no, thank you, Emma. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing over here. Um, well, what do I want to talk to you about now? You've thrown me. Well, when you said dancing religiously, I thought, oh, yes, I did want to ask about religion because were you, were you raised in quite a religious household? No, I think this is quite badly reported. I, I blame I am your Jewish. Wikipedia, probably. Yeah, I know. My, oh my God, my Wikipedia my is I, I don't look nonsense at, as well. Yeah, I don't look at that. No <laughs> one should, I really want people to understand that most of those things are not uh, accurate to people's lives. They're not where I go to look up people's things, if I'm going to. Um, and there's an amazing woman, actually, I met recently who's helping women um, with their Wikipedia if they do want that help. Because uh, she's done the whole getting women scientists to have profiles. Ah, that's a good thing. And rep- putting women back into the sort of digital history. Mm. But she also helps women who are dealing with really bad edits to their Wikipedia mm. that are not true and can be malicious. So if you need her number. Well, the other person I'll I'm going to probably know. ask is my dad, who I think self-edited his Wikipedia page to make him younger <laughs> than he is. So... <laughs> I might okay, have well, I, I think a lot minute, closer to home. The, the, the minute edits. we go down that rabbit, yeah. The minute we go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Although interestingly, um, I think yeah, with the Wikipedia thing a few years ago and my religion, um, somebody edited it to make it the second thing about me, which Ooh. I do not think is normal, uh, and it's certainly not the defining characteristic of me or my life, and it was disproportionate, and I. That was at the height of me getting a load of anti-Semitic abuse. So I right. oh, think yes. these things might be linked. That was, yeah, exactly. So hmm. anyway, sorry, convoluted way of saying, when somebody says they've been brought up in an Orthodox Jewish household, it can mean that they're incredibly religious. Or like me, it can mean it's where your family have paid their subscription to the synagogue. Ah. It was just the denomination that we ascribed to. Yes, I, we, we observed things and I still do Friday night dinner and, and I love the family and the cultural aspect. And I'm very engaged with with that. And I love those touchstones. Um, but no, I was not very religious. Well, I suppose that's, yeah, you've sort of summed up really why I was interested. Because it, it is something that has got so much family and culture and, say, touchstones. And I wondered how much of those you'd put into your your mothering. But I can, have you already just told me? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, like do you know what? You got, I think if you're born into a religion and it's a culture that you really like, um, and a lot of it I do really like, and the, the bits I know as well, you know, I mm. still need to educate myself. You do feel, or I feel certainly, that you have a duty to your child to get, to gen up again, you know, to get better at 
do it right and show them things. Mm. Um, and for any Jewish parents listening, there is a thing called PJ Books, which is an amazing charity that sends out each festival of the year a children's book book linked to it that oh. tells a story. So that's also been educating me. Um, and I think I would really like to offer our son as many windows into that world, also just for community and friendship uh, that he can have. And then he can, when he's older, obviously make some choices. Yeah, well, I suppose that that leads me on to thinking, do, do you, did you have any idea of what kind of mother you did want to be, do you think? I, I thought that some of what I thought, obviously I knew nothing, Sophie, <laughs> um, some of what I thought has come true which is I do I used to do a column called tough love and and what I mean by tough love in terms of parenting is you know I have been the mother the person I don't mind I, I sleep trained him okay you know enjoying my maternity leave way back before pandemic times when your partner goes back to work after two minutes mm. I did a lot of that on my own in the day and and it you know my mum walked out she couldn't handle it my mother-in-law walked out she couldn't handle it leaving the baby to scream so I'm quite I've got a toughness if I think it's good for the baby mm. I've learned that um but I am also a complete bag of nerves if anything for him is wrong you know yeah. and I didn't know how sensitive or how awful that would be I didn't know how my tummy would hurt if he was crying for, for a reason other than me trying to teach him to sleep um <laughs> and I I also didn't know how impatient I was I knew it was bad but now I've had to learn like the yogic breathing that I've always been told would be good for me. Uh, I do. So I don't lose my shit. Um, when I want to lose my shit a lot more than is feasible. And also I've learned lose. That's it. I've also learned losing your shit does nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. But yeah, (laughs) you have to suddenly, yeah, lots of deep breathing, counting to 10, just, yeah. Yeah. I've had to walk away quite often. Um, yeah. I, for me, I feel like it's a, I've had to learn patience that I didn't think I was capable yeah. of, which you must is have really annoying because I was quite happy being impatient. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but you know, know like that's it. why, don't they say that's why women are often amazing workers as well, because we cut to it. Mm. You know, when we're at work, we're like, we've got to get it done in the amount of time that we've got to do it. I can't waft around on this. Mm. Um, and also it's a joy to be able to do it without anything dragging you you know, I, I literally have had to learn because my brain, with the type of work that I do, and, you know, other people will have it without this work, but because of the work I do, whether it's, you know, you're about to interview whoever on telly or Newsnight or whether it's Woman's Hour or whether it's, I don't know what, uh, writing a column in very quick order. Mm. I am very used to processing a lot of information that's sometimes very complicated, synthesising it and coming up with a way of making it accessible. And my brain is like... And I've literally had to learn how to just slow everything down mm. to a whole other pace. That's quite hard. And that it? is a whole new thing as well. Yeah. And were you ever worried about your ability to still do all those things after, after having a child? Because sometimes you can be quite fearful of this new version of yourself. You don't quite know what form that'll take. Totally. And I think I'm still figuring that out. I'm only three years in. I'm a baby when it comes to <laughs> the experience of having a baby. Um, and I, I hate not seeing my son in the morning before our son in the morning before I go to work uh, if he's not up. I mean, it's great if he's not up because it means he is sleeping longer, yes. uh, which is good for his dad who does the mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I still hate that that I go out too early to see him. Um, but I do the afternoons. I but in terms of your school. journalistic mind, you, you, did you worry about that that sort of ability to keep up with everything? So I've got a great example, and which will always make me remember it. Yes, I I was thinking, will I be the same? So it wasn't necessarily will I be as sharp, although that's obviously part of a concern. But it was more like. Will my personality still be the same when mm. I go back out there? Which I think you're driving at. Um, and things, things obviously do change. The, I think it was day three or day four of going back on air when I was at Five Live. That's what the job I returned to after maternity leave. I had uh, a minister on, Rory Stewart, who briefly ran to be the the leader of the Conservative Party, the Prime Minister, and he was the International Development Secretary at the time. Anyway. The Brexit deal, the, the the one that everyone had been waiting for, the withdrawal act, had literally just been published. And he said, 84%, I think he said, or something like that, of the British public support it. But Sophie, it had only been published like two minutes earlier. So I just, <laughs> so I was on air and I just said, well, how, how can we know that the majority of the British public support this? Yeah. It's just happened. And he went, oh, I was just uh, providing a figure to supply, uh, supply a figure to, to furnish my view here, you know, to support it. I said, you mean you just made it up? And basically, we had a minister who just lied, you know, mm. and he's, he's completely admitted this. He's apologised for this since. He apologised very quickly. And he's actually talked about this interview being a really formative moment for him as a politician. Mm. And because he was so desperate to make his point. And it's not, I'm not telling this out of malice to him. The interview then went completely viral. And I was only back in the job like a couple of days or whatever. It went onto the late night American programs, like fake news has spread to Britain. You know, it was, it, and, and, yeah. and it was, you know, obviously for some people very humorous, not necessarily for him. And I thought, okay, I can still hear something at yeah. the time it is happening. And it was like the best gift I could have had three days afterwards because I was still all there. Yeah, yeah. And also it felt good because you were totally in that moment as well. And because I think you worry a lot about being distracted and having that sort of parallel like what's happening to my son right now where, where will he be what will he be yes. up to oh what time is it is it nearly his lunchtime and actually just being able to be totally focused where you are is yeah especially I, I, when you I, heard that for a long time so agree with you the feeling of focus and I think you can have a guilt after that being completely honest mm. I haven't thought about my child for three hours while I've been on air yeah um but I think the I don't know if this is a podcast where people should share advice or tips. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I yeah. feel like people do, oh, um, yeah, but I never want to. I mean, that's not. It's not like specifically for that, but I think no. It's like whatever but I don't comes wanna... out of the bag. Really, we've all had so yeah, many no. different experiences. Well, I, I, I think this is a very obvious thing in some ways to say, but it occurred to me later, in case it is of use to anyone listening, is and I, as I say, I'm no expert, but I did set up. We both did, but I, I led it because I was on maternity leave. Childcare that really felt very secure, like very good for the times that we had it. It's mm-hmm. quite a patchwork, as many people's are. Mm. And I think that led me to be okay to be in work fully yeah. with my mind. Not everybody can have that. And then things happen and obviously things go wrong all the time. But I hadn't realised how important that particular thing to get sorted was so yeah. that I could go and do exactly as you just said. No, I actually think that's a really valid thing. And to be honest, I haven't, we haven't spoken tons about childcare, I suppose, because it can be quite polarising because not everybody can afford all the same options. Um, and, yes. you know, it's very easy when people have different lives to be quite um, knee-jerk about, well, it's OK for them. They've probably got nannies. They probably never see their kids. And the whole thing for me was about speaking to lots of different women to show that actually... 
there's a lot of things that we all experience and all feel that have got nothing to do with those things. It's, you know, take, take, take that bit away for a bit and let's, let's look at the, the sort of humans behind all that. But the fact of the matter is, if you are going to have childcare in whatever form it is, whether it be your, your mum, your sister, a childminder, a daycare nursery, a nanny when you've got the right place, the right person, it does give you that freedom. And actually, it's not something that's really been spoken about that much, I think, because it's sort of seen as just a box that needs to be ticked in terms of just making sure someone's responsible for your kid when you're not. But actually, it goes a lot deeper than that. And I mean, one we had the same nanny from when my eldest was four months all the way till he was 11, Nanny Claire. Um, and uh, she was like family. And it was really, I always loved that. I love the fact that if one of them, you know, even now with our nanny, if one of my kids gets falls over and hurts himself they're happy to be comforted by her and that, I feel like great that means I've made the right decision and you do need to be able to just pass that battle so you can go off and do your thing that's that is completely okay when our son was really little and I thought you know it's so competitive to get them in and, and mm. who you can get and because I work quite funny hours I was looking for something quite specific because yes, I tricky. really put a lot of pressure on myself to do every afternoon you know and and not um because I miss out on the mornings I've sort of done that deliberately and I really want you know that's not a complaint um and I just always make sure I hit things that means I have to do other things in in different ways but I remember going to see a childminder and I was so upset afterwards she was amazing what she was doing was incredible the kids looked so happy but <laughs> I wasn't ready to see it yeah um, so I do think it's the most important job you do for yourself as someone who wants to go back to work or mm. has to go back to work yeah I'll be more explicit about that uh, that you you set that up so you don't think you don't have to think about it. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I was listening to you talk. I think it's actually in that same podcast where you were saying about how you don't post pictures of your baby online um, of your child online because you can remember how that made you feel when you were trying to have a baby and how you find it confusing when people who've had fertility issues then go on to be to post loads and loads of pictures because you think you knew, you remember how upsetting you found that before you had a baby. So now being, mm. being sort of going into that camp is a different thing. But I wondered if sometimes if having, becoming a mother, the journey to parenthood has been tricky. If there's, if you almost feel like there's a version of you out there that didn't have the baby, that you're almost sort of still protecting that side of you because you must spend so much time just trying to come to terms with the fact that that might be where you're headed when you sort of do end up becoming a mum you think I still need to look out for that version of me <laughs> that person out there that didn't that didn't have that the lucky you know the IVF didn't work because otherwise yes, I know, I will always have part of I will always have one foot in the camp of the women who can't have children mm. even if I'm not allowed to anymore really because I did and that's when I spoke to Elizabeth on her podcast she still doesn't have a child and she really would like one. And she's very honest about that. And so it is the most delicate conversation in the world to even dare to say that I could represent those people in any tiny way. But I have walked in their shoes and I left their particular path and joined a different path, the path mm. that they so desperately want. Um, but I'll never leave them, not really, because of how it was. I don't post photos of, of my family life online for two reasons. One is privacy. They didn't sign up to this. Yeah, they haven't yeah. consented. I'm not judging anyone who does. You can do exactly what you want. But I also, yeah, I I, I know this is divisive, but I'm not going to not say it because of that. I'm, I've, I've got to be able to say that I have found it, I, I'll be really specific, I found it really surprising 
that certain people who have struggled do it so much. Mm. But then equally, I'm not surprised by it because it's a huge, it shouldn't be this word, but it is a huge thing. I was going to say achievement, but it's, a, it's not an achievement because it just happens or it doesn't. And a lot of the time it's nothing you do. Mm. There is a miracle bit of getting pregnant that the doctors don't even understand. Hence why the odds of IVF are not that good. You know, yeah. they really aren't. It, yeah, you're right. That's it's quite as simple as, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Exactly. Um, but I, I also understand why people do. And actually, after that podcast, a lot of people in the IVF community on Instagram got together, a lot of them who also do have kids now and really didn't like what I'd said. Um, and they weren't, you know, attacking me per se. They're comp- I'm all about debate. That's, that's what I live for. Um, and they're completely right to, to have those conversations. And I'm happy to spark that conversation. And what I saw in some of their posts, uh, I left them to have the conversation. I wasn't involved was, you know, this is their life. This is what they, and and obviously I am censoring my life because my entire photo reel on my phone is my family. Yeah. And I'll have like one photo occasionally. I'll be like, oh yeah, I can put that on Instagram. And I look like a right old Billy No Mates on Instagram because it's basically <laughs> just me in different places. <laughs> you know, I I do feel like I would be betraying that other bit of me to do that for me. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, all these things are really personal, aren't they? But I do, I do think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think ultimately when you post anything, you're, well, for me anyway, and I'm, it sounds like it's similar for you. You're sort of picturing at the other end a version of yourself, really, sort of going, what do I think mm. of that? Because you've only really got your own standards to be, you know, to be as objective as, as that, really, in terms of, you know, setting up your store, what makes you cringe, what makes you think, yeah, I think this one's okay. So I think if, you've, if you knew that that was something that was upsetting then, then to suddenly cross over into that wouldn't make sense for you. It wouldn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, listen... Most people post photos of their children. I don't mainly because of privacy, but mm. I think especially when he was born, I just felt I couldn't cross over, and I think that you know that was a driving factor. Then it, it's definitely more changed, I suppose, into the privacy element. Mm. Um, but I, I think that I think the particular reason I said that and, and continue to say that is, as I say, my surprise at some people who know exactly how difficult that is posting and often I've seen them do disclaimers like I know I've been through this but I really want to show this or whatever and I get that but I still think I still think that's hard yeah and while you were during the time when you were trying to have a baby and having your endometriosis diagnosis that's also the time when you started the tough love column I think your advice column was it quite um a good time to also be sort of thinking about what other problems other people are having that it was it quite a good way of sort of distracting outward from what yeah. you were dealing with yourself maybe. yes I think maybe but also in another life I feel like I would be an, an agent or a fixer or something I love helping people plot their way out of things oh uh, and I love very good skill for parenthood by the way problem solving comes okay in, good comes in a handy a lot I hope so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can give you some some okay. of my biggest like. Okay, how do I get out of this one? Actually, my favorite. Sorry, just when I think of it, I no took. Um, it was my second son. He was probably about four. We had a day out together, uh, just the two of us. We went to a fun fair. Do you know those um, those brown balls that you can climb in and they float in water? Have you seen those? He'd got in one of them, and I thought I, I could see see him inside there. He seemed to be starting to take his clothes off, and I thought, oh, he's 
maybe a bit hot. Maybe it's just so <laughs> hot in there. And by the time the ball had finished his seven minutes, wherever his allotted time was, I realised, no, he'd, he'd wet himself inside this floating orb <laughs> in full view of a sort of queue of waiting parents and, and impatient kids. And I had to really quickly sort of whip him out of there take my cardi, put it round his waist like a little makeshift skirt and just he just walked off and didn't have a backward glance. Um, I don't know if that was really a problem-solving moment or just like no, I love make it. a very sharp exit from <clears throat> a public space. But um, my, friend, my friend had to catch her little boy's poo once in a bakery bag as they were walking <laughs> along the street. Like, parents have to come up with some really quick solutions to these yeah. poor things and you don't know how um, often you're going to be dealing with poo and wee as well i just didn't foresee that being quite such a permanent no. fixture in my life huge huge <laughs> oh you've had to deal with a lot of poor <laughs> i really well have done you. <laughs> um well i'm i'm nearly ready to let you go but um as a final thing i saw when i was um reading bits and bobs before speaking to you a story I wanted to know more about, which it sounded like you said, I think is your, your most embarrassing thing, where you saw one of your husband husband's colleagues at a, a function, and you managed to put your hand in her mouth. But I wanted to know how that. I didn't. I, I sort of want more detail to that, really. <laughs> Sophie, Sophie, I just honestly, this this day couldn't get any better. I'm talking to Sophie Alexander, and you've asked me about one of my favourite stories, and also because I. I mentioned it in a really short thing in The Guardian. Yes. So many people have messaged me about it and I've never actually said it. Well, good, so I've, let's, I've just, let's have this. You know, this is your exclusive. <laughs> this is your scoop. Um, I'm ready for it. I already know the punchline, I'm still ready for it. I, I <laughs> still can't deal with how embarrassing it is. <laughs> and the best thing is she does not remember it because she was so drunk. Oh, that's um, good. That's good. Yeah, and I, I'm going. I'm going where you know now. <laughs> you didn't buy my album because there isn't one. But uh, anyway, I won an award really like when I was in my early twenties for for journalism, and I was so excited, and I didn't think I would win it, and it was to do with my old uh, old job, and 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 you know it was a big glitzy event, blah blah blah, and I go up on stage and I get the award, and I can't quite believe it's happened, and I come down on stage, and I'm still on the podium bit, coming down. <laughs> and she comes towards me she's so wonderful she's like American she's full of life and she's like oh Emma you know congratulations and I'm like okay Katie and I go towards her to hug her and she's opened her mouth as wide as possible because she's so excited for me and I go to hug her and she moves and the angle this very unique angle means that my hand as I go to like give her a hug around like her neck a bit slash shoulders just goes straight in her mouth um, <laughs> on a diagonal, but like just the fingers, not the thumb. Sort <laughs> key detail, and I, and and it's straight in and straight out, and it literally looked like <laughs> from behind. It was look like I punched her, but yeah, I remember the feeling of her teeth grazing the top of my fingers, <laughs> and she looked so shocked, and then she just carried on in for the hug, and I was like, oh. <gasps> And she actually was my husband's boss at the time as well. So, yeah, it was, you know, I came home that night. I, I stayed out really late. I had a lot to drink myself. and I, But I do remember coming home that night. He was then my boyfriend. And I said to him, I put my whole hand in your boss's mouth. Who <laughs> happened to be at the event. And he was like, what? What? Did that work? Did, did that explain? Definitely. That, you know what it was that? 
I didn't understand before was the angle. So now that I know the yes. angle. But also it's, I just love it when weird things happen like that. <laughs> and no one says anything and it just kind of continues. <gasps> well, yeah, we just didn't talk about it. <laughs> it's just too weird. I remember, <gasps> it's not the same, but I remember like one of my mum's friends been around for dinner and as she was leaving I thought she was going to kiss my cheek but I just missed <laughs> the, the angle of her cheek and we kissed each other on the lips and it was just yes. mortifying <laughs> just, I bet. it was so embarrassing and I, I just was like is that something people do like is that everything <laughs> is that a thing I couldn't really remember if that was sometimes an option for saying hello or goodbye to like <laughs> one of your mum's friends I, I don't think it is really <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. No, that, that falls into the same category. Yeah. Oh, we can't revisit that, but we shall think about it more than we need to for the yeah. rest of time. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Emma. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And uh, yes. thank you for all your time and your wisdom. And I wish you all the best with the book. I have it by my bedside and I've been reading it. It's brilliant. And it's made me think oh. a lot. And I feel like I have maybe been, you know, I'm accidentally complicit, really, in this sort of keeping periods as a thing that isn't really talked about and I'm determined to change that now I don't think I've spoken about it publicly since since that time of telling the designer so I'm I'm gonna go forth and make sure it becomes part of the dialogue and as as the mother of five sons they're all very familiar with periods I'm just I'm like I have to be their sole example of of living with a woman at the moment so I'm like guys just get with it they they have to understand (laughs) how that works I don't want them to be squeamish or awkward it's just there's, there's no time for that no, no, I'm sure they won't be with all the beautiful influence that you're, you're having. But, but thank you. I mean, the pleasure was all oh my. I'm so sorry we weren't in person. Oh, don't worry. Next Zoom. time. Next I would time. love to meet and, and have a kitchen disco with you. Yeah, yeah that'd be really fun. I, I, I wish I still had my CD rack with your face on it. You can have my real face. We'll do it in person. Okay, great. Day made. And I promise not to put my hand in your mouth. <laughs> I promise not to kiss you on the lips. <laughs> okay, deal. Thank you so much. Excellent. See, wasn't she lovely? I don't know why I guess. You know what? I've had a few um, guests for the podcast now where beforehand I've thought, oh, I can't trip up or make any mistakes because they'll, they'll have my guts for garters and they're always actually completely lovely and then I feel a bit silly. But maybe that's just uh, part of the course. Actually, talking of which, next week's guest, I was a little bit... I think whenever I speak to as well, entrepreneurs, business people, I feel like they're kind of just slightly more grown up than me. And next week's guest is an entrepreneur called Sarah Willingham, who we had a brilliant chat. She was another completely lovely woman. Uh, And she did a really cool thing of taking her four kids, and her and her husband took her four kids travelling around the world for three years can't wait for you to hear that but for now thank you so much to emma for this week's chat i um i love speaking to her and i it's funny because i already have actually contacted a couple of people um about people i think maybe who were struggling with endometriosis and maybe don't realize it um one of which is only a teenage girl but i think she she talks so well about the the sort of hidden pain of it really and i think so much of us probably just think that's just what periods are like and actually they're not are they they're not supposed to be something where it's so painful you can't walk or you can't you know gritting your teeth to to meet people and that kind of thing um and it was also so brilliant of Emma to speak about ivf and i'm sure there are many many parents who can completely relate to that kind of one for any of the camp the the, the camp of people who who didn't end up having a baby or are struggling to have a baby and still don't have one and the camp of people who managed to, to become parents. 
I imagine that once you've spent a couple of years in that first camp, it's a place that you never really feel like you've completely, you know, you're still thinking of those people, aren't you? Anyway, I always end up rambling. I'm sorry. It's just because you're here and I'm here and it's a nice thing to do, to be honest. There's probably other things I could tell you about, but some of it's so boring. You know, like I've got to fix Mickey's worked out that if he shimmies, his, he's still in a kind of baby cot type thing, even though he's two and a half now. I normally move my, my kids into a big bed by the time they're three, so he's kind of on the last bit of having a cot bed. And he's worked out if he gives it a really good shake, he can make one of the wheels fall off, thus making a side of the cot lower down, thus making it that bit easier to climb out. Got to fix that today. I've already fixed as well uh, a handle downstairs that fallen off. Richard's fixed a kitchen door cupboard that fell off. And there's two sets of coat hooks that have fallen down. It's just uh, just the fun kind of uh, Sunday Sunday vibes. But later on, we have got a nice chicken that we can have for a roast dinner. So don't worry, we will reward ourselves with food for all this hard labour. <laughs> anyway, I hope wherever you are, you've been having a lovely week, and it's good to good to be with you again. And see you next week for the chat with Sarah. And do please continue to leave your comments about who else I should speak to. Um, yeah, I think that's it for now. I mean, obviously I could go on, but I think you probably realise that. All right, lots of love. See you next week. Goodbye. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right <laughs> Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of Real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.